What do you really want for Christmas? It isn't a substitute for God. It isn't a substitute for the gift that God has for you here today, the greatest gift. It's the written word of God that leads to the incarnate word of God that has the power to absolutely change your life for the better and forever, to give you your hope back, your joy. What would you pay for a joy like that that isn't touchable by your circumstances? It's a free gift from God. It's God's gift to you at Christmas and to the whole world. When light and darkness fight, light wins. No matter who you are, his light is for you. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I'm knocking. If you let me in, I've got the gift for you. The Bible says you're gonna have trouble. You're gonna have darkness because it's a fallen, messed up, sinful world. But take heart, Jesus says, I've overcome the world. Put your faith and keep that faith in me. You'll have an untouchable joy and a peace that passes all human understanding. And you will know that you know that there is a God and this God loves you. And I'm telling you, that's what changes everything. Well, good morning, Hope. God's light was certainly shining bright on Christmas Eve uh, last weekend. And here we are the traditional weekend after Christmas where Lutherans never come to church. And look at you, you showed up, well done. Uh, Turn to the person next to you, wherever you are, whatever campus or local site, or you're watching online at a soccer tournament, soccer in the winter, indoor soccer tournament, wherever you might be and say, I'm really glad you're here today. I truly am, I'm glad you're here. Thanks for coming to worship. Thanks for kicking off this new year. Happy new year, everybody, by the way. Uh, I feel like I haven't preached since last year, so I hope I remember how to do it. (laughs) Sorry, that was like dad joke level, but we'll start with that. So God's light really was shining brightly on Christmas Eve. You got a a beautiful recap of that in the video our studio folks put together. The verse that really got experienced and we were able to live it out. John chapter 1, verse 4. The word brought light to everyone. And as we learned last weekend in the Christmas Eve sermon, unless you're new here today, then I'll teach you fresh. The Word is the written Word of God in the Bible, but it's also the living Word of God, who is Jesus Christ, God incarnate, God in flesh. This Word became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1.14 says, full of God's grace and full of God's truth. And this Word, verse 5 says, shines brightly into this world and to the darkness, and the darkness could never extinguish it. God's light was shining brightly for us. Here in our West Des Moines Worship Center, we've got the light shining from the manger scene, but now they move out to you where you are. Wherever you might be, they're they're hanging over the top of you to symbolize that Jesus, this baby's not in the manger anymore. He grows up, and he grows up to live and die and rise from the dead to bring new and everlasting life to you and to all people who want to put their faith and trust in him. This word brings light to us, so we lit our candles and sang silent nights, symbolizing this light that goes out. It's God's gift to us. That was our theme. But this is the gift that keeps on giving. And our world needs it, because as we turn the page from 2022 to 2023, I don't know about you, but I heard this, I think, more than any other time toward the end of December leading into a new year. Even at the height of COVID, I didn't hear it as much. When people were saying to me, I can't wait for this year to be over. It's been rough. It was filled with darkness for for a lot of us, for a lot of you, for a lot of people in our world. 
challenges, frustrations, detours, disappointments, heartaches, heartbreaks. I'm not saying that, that there wasn't joy out there too, or, or maybe you had a charmed, wonderful, perfect year, and if you did, God bless you, that's awesome. But for those of you who didn't, there's something psychologically, emotionally, mentally maybe even, where we say, okay, out with the old, in with the new. And we put our faith that we're going to be able to jump from the darkness of 22 to the light of 23 because, well, we're going to start some new resolutions, some new habits. We're going to stop doing the things that were bad for us. We're going to start doing the things that are good for us. We're, we're going to start resolving to, to live a better life. We'll find the willpower within ourselves to do it. There's nothing wrong with that. Go for it. Try your best. But I guess a lot of us have learned over the years that we make these resolutions and as well intended as they might be, they're really hard to keep. And almost always we default back to what was once upon a time. And then the darkness of 2022, we discover it's still there in 2023 and maybe putting our best hope in a whole new life and just the fact that we turn the page of a calendar from one year to another, maybe that's not substantial enough. Maybe we're going to need something more. Maybe we're going to need a brighter light, something that isn't artificial, that shines into the darkness, and the darkness can't extinguish it. Well, that's what Christmas is all about, but Christmas isn't just a one-day celebration. I know a lot of us as Americans, we're like, Christmas is December 25th, and maybe we'll throw in December 24th, Christmas Eve on there, so it's a two-day thing, and then that's it. But actually Christmas is a 12-day thing. It goes through this Thursday, January 5th, and then on Friday it's the day of Epiphany. And this has been around for almost 20 centuries. It's still Christmas, so wow. Merry Christmas. <laughs> you're not into it, I can tell. But you're missing out. I'm not here to be the Christmas police and say if you already dragged your tree to the curb like the city sent you the memo to do, or, or you already took out all your lights and your decorations, and, you know, that's just, you're a terrible heathen, you're not. It's just time to put it all away. We'll be putting our stuff away before Epiphany too. But if you still have your lights out until January 5th, you got it. That's that symbolically, not the most important thing, but that's the idea, that the Christmas season, the light continues to shine, and here's the better news, it doesn't end on January 5th either. The light continues to shine. What if, instead of chasing after the artificial lights of this world, we put our faith in something deeper? What if we realize sometimes as human beings we put too much faith in ourselves and in other people and not enough faith in God? What if we let God be God in 2023? What if we put our trust, actual trust, in the power of his life-changing light? What if instead of following the light of causes and things and other people, as good as they might be, we put our trust and we follow the light that's brighter than that, this paralamp light that shines in every direction? That's the Greek word, as I preached about last week in Luke 2, that when the angel showed up for the shepherds, the Greek word is a perilamp. A perilampson is what it was. Periscope, it goes left, right, forward, back, up, down, every direction. It finds us wherever we are. That's the light of God's love. It's a peri lamp. It's a peri light. God's light shines for the shepherds. God's light shines through the birth of Jesus Christ for you. Psalm 119 rather famously says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Thank you, Amy Grant, for making it even more famous. 
back in the 80s. Your word is a lamp that illuminates my pathway, that shows me the way my feet should be walking. What if in 2023, in addition to making all of the self-improvement resolutions that are good for us to make, what if we added one at the very top of the list? I mean the big one, the main one, the central theme. I'm gonna follow the light of Jesus Christ this year. I'm gonna let the light of his word that points me to the light of God's son, Jesus Christ, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna let that direct my steps. I'm gonna let that more than anything else be the cause that I live for. I'm gonna let that not only help me understand who God is, but who I am. I'm gonna, I'm gonna set my identity as a human being first and foremost, above all the, my occupation, my job, my passion, uh, the, way I call my, the way I identify myself in, in this way or that way. Above it all, I'm gonna say I'm a child of God. I'm a follower of the light of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you it'll set you free in a way that no other light, well-intended as it is, ever could. Because it just doesn't have the potential. It just can't come through for you. Like the God of creation, who loves you so much that he showed up for you in the person of Jesus Christ, this perilamp that isn't just waiting for you someday after you die so you can get into heaven. Oh, it's way better than that. It's a light for you right here and right now. Right here, this year. 2023, it's no promise that there won't be darkness, disappointments, challenges, frustrations, detours, heartbreaks again this year. There probably will, but you'll have a light. You'll have a foundation. You'll have what Hebrews 6 says is an anchor for your soul. God's word is this hope, Hebrews 6 says, that is given to us as a promise. The hope is a strong and trustworthy, an anchor for our souls. So let this light, this paralamp, shine for you this year. Let 2023 be the year you jump to the light of Jesus Christ, not just the well-intended as they might try to be, the ultimately unhelpful lights that can't give us what our souls are longing for. And so we're diving into God's word, this word that's the promise. We're saying our theme this year is a church and this is for those of you who attend in person and live locally. And this is for those of you wherever you might live around the world. Hello, Liberia. Hello, Denmark. Uh, hello, people all over the country. It's good to be one church in many locations. As a church, I'm challenging you to read the whole Holy Bible this year. We're calling it the whole Holy Bible in a year. We want you to read it, learn it, and live it. And it's all three, not just one or two of those three. The devil knows what God's written word says, and he's even learned it, but he doesn't live it out. That's the distinctive. Jesus will say in a part of your assigned reading for this week, it's about one chapter a day on average to get through the whole New Testament in a year. If you want to take the Old Testament track, uh, come here, I'll just be honest, that's going to be a much bigger investment of your time. I just want you to know that going in. Old Testament... New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament. It's about, and, and just in terms of being able to kind of read through it and be like, I think I'm getting this. New Testament, Old Testament, yeah, sometimes. When I was in third grade, I was a member of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Great Falls, Montana. And like Lutherans have this great tradition, we do it in this church. Our third graders here at Hope will be getting uh, free new Bibles and we'll make a big deal out of it. We do teaching around it. We have parents come. We present the Bibles, as we should. It's a big deal. 
We're giving them the light of God's word. Well, that's what happened to me when I was a third grader. And my buddy, Mitch Trapila and I, who also got a Bible, we got so excited, we're like, Mitch, I said, I'm going to read the whole Bible. I'm going to start in Genesis. I'm going to read a few chapters every day or every night before I go to bed. And I'm going to, and Mitch is like, I'm in too. Let's go. So we start reading and we're talking about it. And it starts great. Like, you know, creation, Adam and Eve. That's an adventurous story with the serpent. Then you turn the page just a little deeper into Genesis and it's Noah and the ark. And what third grader doesn't like a story about animals and, and rainbows? I mean, I'm, I'm into the whole thing. And then you turn the page a little deeper in Genesis and, and you get to Abraham and Sarah who put the fun in dysfunctional family. I mean, if you've never read this, I'm telling you, there's going to be parts of this that you're going to read this year. You'll be like, yeah, I expected that. If you've never read it before, that's kind of what I assume. And there's going to be parts you're like, what did I just read? What did Abraham just do? What did Sarah, are you kidding me? You don't need soap operas anymore. You'll have the Bible to cover that for you. So I'm eating this up as a third grader. I'm like, this is the best. And then I get into the end of Genesis and there's this dude named Joseph and he's got an amazing Technicolor dream coat. And then I turn the page into the next book. Mitch is excited too. We're just third graders. We're gonna, this is going to be a breeze. We're going to read the whole book. It's going to be like this the whole way. And then you turn the page into Exodus and Charlton Heston shows up. <laughs> and he parts the sea. And there's these plagues and Yule Brynner's there. And, and, and then the Ten Commandments come down from heaven. Wow! And the story in the Bible is even better than the movie. This is great. And then I turn the page to the back half of Exodus. <laughs> it's like trudging through the quicksand of life. <laughs> I'm just going to be careful I don't get hit by lightning. <laughs> Lord, I love the back half of Exodus, but it's a little detailed, okay? And then it gets even more. I mean... Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then Mitch and I quit. <laughs> and I didn't read through the whole Bible for a while until I was in college. Here's the difference. I'm not asking you to do this alone. I'm inviting you to do this together. Turn to the verse in whatever campus or location you're at and say, we're better together. I want you to read it, learn it, and live it together. I want you to read it and learn it so you can live it at the end of our reading for today from Matthew 7, you'll read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And in Matthew 7 at the end, Jesus will say, now you're wise if you hear these words of mine and you apply them. You'll be like a wise man who builds his house on a solid rock so that when the storms come, and they certainly will in 2023, almost certainly, You'll have an anchor for your soul, as Hebrews 6 says. You'll have a solid foundation, Jesus says in Matthew 7, upon which to stand, even when the weather gets bad in your life. Now that's a light you can put your trust in that isn't based on how things are going. That's what you have here. You, God has something to say to you this year through his living, inspired, written word. Will you listen is the only question. People say, oh, I wish God would give me a sign. I wish God would just speak to me directly. He is. He's talking to you. He's got all sorts of things to say to you this year. Will you listen? Will you tune in? Will you make this connection? We're going to try to make it as easy as we possibly can for you. 
We've got the shorter track, which uh, chapters in the Bible are short. One chapter a day isn't a lot. If you want to go gunner style and go for the whole Holy Bible, you can do that too. And it will, it will broaden and strengthen your faith even more. We've got free Bibles available for you in our lobby here in West Des Moines at other campuses too. Uh, they're in English, they're in Spanish, they're in Hindi, they're in two other languages. There's a gift from a member of our church who's a part of the Indian community here in West Des Moines. I think that's just awesome. There's a study Bible option, which I highly recommend. You can buy study Bibles in our bookstore, get them on Amazon or any other bookstore. If you buy them in our bookstore, 100% of every penny of profit we could ever make in our bookstore goes to local and global missions. We keep none of it here. Just want you to understand and know that. I'm not selling you this so that we can get a little income stream. We get none of it. But we do want you to be in the Word. I will tell you a study Bible's expensive. It is an investment, but I think it's an investment that's worth it. Because sometimes you'll be reading along like Mitch and I did to the back half of Exodus and beyond for a little while before it gets exciting again in Joshua, where we just bailed and we quit. You'll be reading along, and sometimes it'll be exciting, sometimes it'll be comforting, sometimes it'll be confusing, sometimes it'll be a little slow, sometimes you won't understand it, sometimes you'll be concerned about what you read, sometimes it will challenge you. That's what the Word of God does. It brings comfort to us when we're feeling afflicted, and it afflicts us when we're getting too comfortable. You know, the way a good father does for his children. Because when... A father sees his children getting too comfortable, he realizes they can be slipping into the darkness. And so God, our Heavenly Father, wants to keep us on track. He wants us to continue to follow in the light of his life-changing word. So we have the study Bible option for you. It's not just maps. It'll help you with some of those difficult passages and verses. You'll be able to reference right down on that same page and it'll explain to you, say, well, here's what's going on. Here's the history. Here's the timeline. Here's how it fits together. Here's some cross-references to some other passages in Scripture so you see how all the dots connect. Here's how it all comes together. Study Bible helps you with all that. You also have an audio option. We had members of the church get together and they're reading through the whole Bible. So if you don't want to read it, you just want to listen to it, which is actually the way the Bible was written once upon a time originally. It was written to be heard more than it was written to be read. Either way is good. You can tune into that audio option. It'll be available on all your favorite podcast platforms. Uh, and we're better together, as I said before. We'll post daily readings on our website. We can send them to you on email, along with daily devotions. We have devotions for your family, too, not just for adults. We have weekly sermons that will focus on what you read. This, the, so what you read this week, I'll preach on that next weekend, and the other preachers will do the same throughout the year. This weekend's a little different. It's more of an overview. And I'll give you a taste of our passage for today from Matthew 2 before we wrap up. There'll be weekly podcasts. The Pastor Mike Drop live podcast is going live. It's Wednesdays at 12 noon. If that doesn't work for you, you can watch it or listen to it on demand later in the week. But here's why I'm so excited about it. My co-host Emily and I are going to have a rotation of pastors. We already got them scheduled out through the month of May from Hope. We're going to get together and do an in-depth, deeper dive into our readings for that week. So as you're eating lunch someday, you know, Wednesdays at noon, you can just tune in and kind of listen and, and, and take some notes and, and, and apply that to the passages that maybe you're tripping over along the way. Here's one of the great advantages of being a part of this particular congregation. And I want to say this with all humility, because I'm really talking about my colleagues way more than I'm talking about me, but I did the math. 
You put all of the pastors in this church and Bible teachers in this church together, and you have over 100 years of postgraduate, master's and doctorate degree level biblical studies and theological studies. I don't know that there are a ton of congregations around that can say that. Tap into it. These are the people who will be teaching the classes, the Bible studies. These are the groups of pastors we meet on a regular basis and we talk theology. We hold each other accountable. We hone each other in so that we don't just, I mean, let me put it this way. If you ever have to have heart surgery someday, do you want somebody doing your heart surgery who just woke up one morning and said, I'm passionate about hearts. And I just feel a call from God to start ripping people open and doing heart surgery. Is that who you want in the operating room? But that's the way a lot of us kind of approach it. Well, I've got TikTok Christianity. You know, I I, I saw a little blurb about this, this dude who showed up and has no theological or biblical interpretation, no hermeneutical training, doesn't know the first thing about Greek or Hebrew, but says, ah, here's this thing that'll rock your world about the Bible. Do you want somebody who's never been to med school, never did residency in heart surgery, never did a fellowship, never had the experience? Do you want somebody like that doing a heart surgery for a loved one? This is the advantage. This church is so blessed with some of the most brilliant theologians in the whole Lutheran church in America. I'm talking about my colleagues, humbly, not me. I'm talking about the, the, tap into that. Bring Richard.web at hopewdm.org with all your questions. Or Ben.Mason or Caroline.Banky Becker. Talk to it. We're all at your service. We're here. We want it. We love this stuff. Ask and it will be shown to you. Knock and the door will be open. Seek and you'll find. You're not doing this alone like Mitch and I did in third grade. You've got a, a community around you. We'll have group discussion guides uh, for your hope groups. We, we, as I said, have Bible studies and classes. So that's how we're going to do it. Here's now kind of a 30,000 foot, looking through the airplane window overview. A little bit more about what the Bible is. Before I send you in to start reading, I want you to understand a little bit more about the context. I think these things are really important. The Bible's actually technically not a book. It's a library of books. It's a library of 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, that were written over 1,300 years by multiple authors, but they're all inspired by the Holy Spirit, which explains why, even though these books were written in different eras, different centuries, by different authors who didn't know each other, who didn't have access to each other's books, to each other's writings, yet this will blow away the skeptic. There's a common thread that weaves throughout the whole thing. What are the odds? Go ahead and calculate that. That a book, a collection of books, which is what the Holy Bible is, could hold together like that. Even though it's being written independently. These books didn't, the the Bible wasn't written by by a dude named Hank who sat down and says, I'm going to start a new religion today. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to call it the Bible and we'll go. That's even atheistic historical scholars say that's nonsense. We know it was multiple authors. We know it was over 13 centuries. We know it was in different nations. We know it was written. And yet there's this literary common thread that is woven through the whole thing from start to finish. Not only that, but there's a plethora of genres, general literary styles, eight different ones that you'll be reading. It's important to know this as you're reading so that you know what it is you're reading. More context for the text. It's taking the Bible seriously. People say, well, I take the Bible literally. 
first of all, I would argue you don't, or you would have no eyes and no hands. And you'll read about that this week in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Second of all, I would tell you, take the Bible seriously. If I, if I write a love poem to my wife, I don't want her to read it literally. I want her to read it as beautiful poetry. I, I, she could miss the whole point. Your eyes are as blue as the oceans. I could write in a poem. And I mean that symbolically and, and you know, metaphorically. And if she takes it literally, what do you mean I have fish floating around in my eyes? Well, you missed the whole point. Take the Bible seriously. Understand the context, the, the genre of literature you're reading. Uh, let's hear praying people give a loud amen is a way I summarize that. So the first letter of that, L-H-P-P-G-A-L-A, that's the eight genres of literature, first letter. Law, history, poetry, prophets in the Old Testament, gospels, acts, letters, and apocalypse in the New. You'll hear more about that as we go. We'll remind you where we are as we're reading these stories so that you're reading them seriously. You're, you're elevating the, the seriousness of what God's word is. We don't take ourselves very seriously in this church, but we take God's word and God very seriously. So on the next screen, I want to point you to this common thread. Everything in the Bible points to the central story of Jesus' death and resurrection. From the beginning of creation to the apocalyptic literature in the last book of the Bible in Revelation, it all points to the same story. Jesus lived, died, and rose from the dead. And that reminds us, even when you're reading the tough parts of Scripture, and you will, You'll read some stuff that really rocks your world, that challenges you. Remember, it's pointing you to this truth that there is a God and this God loves you. There is a God and this God loves you. The Bible's a love letter from God to you and it gets a little rough in places and it gets a little confusing in places but all points to this central story there is a God and this God loves you and he offers you the free gift of salvation that saves you not just for heaven someday but for life right here and right now. A whole new life. Let that light shine for you. Probably needs to be said there are different English translations. We get asked this as pastors all the time. What translation should I be reading? If you're not a Greek and Hebrew scholar, it's helpful to have it in English if that's your language. So these are the most popular most uh, the best-selling versions, King James, Revised Standard, that's the third grade Bible Mitch and I got. And if you grew up with those, I have zero problem with you reading those. If it helps you, it's more familiar to you, if it keeps you on task, then do King James. Or there's New King James now, or there's New Revised Standard now. You could do those if you're familiar with those texts. And then there's more modern translations, and people wrongly assume but that means less scholarship than King James. Well, if you're a 16th, 17th century European, King James is going to be great for you. But the only issue I have with King James or even Revised Standard now is it uses phrasing of the English language that we don't use anymore. And so there might be a disconnect between what you're reading in Scripture and, and the language that you think in, the language that you converse in. That's where NIV, NLT, and, and the message come in. And I put an asterisk by New Living Translation. That's the one we use 90% or so of the time in our sermons. When we reference scripture, you can just assume it's NLT unless we note otherwise. The message was written by one of the premier ancient language biblical scholars of our generation, Dr. Eugene Peterson. 
The New International Version was written by a whole massive team of wonderful Bible interpreter professors, and they got together and held each other accountable in that. New Living Translation, same thing. You can trust it. New Living Translation, by the way, is phrase by phrase translation, which if you go to the United Nations, they'll tell you is much more accurate than word for word. So choose accordingly, whatever it might be, but I highly recommend that, and again, highly recommend that you get a study Bible, and then how to read the Bible, start with prayer. Don't just dive right in. It can be a short prayer. It can be a minute, two minutes, eight minutes, ten seconds. Talk to God. You say, I don't know how to pray. Cool, we've got prayer classes for you all year too, taught by that same team of pastors. It is, the one thing I would say, the most important thing I ever learned about prayer before you take that class, talk to God like you would your best friend because he is. He already knows what's on your heart and mind. You might as well tell him. You know, the way a loving parent wants a child, tell me how you're feeling. Because it helps the child to say it. It helps the child to articulate it, to think it through. Start with prayer. Then read the full passage. When I was uh, in seminary and I was doing my daily devotions, I got in a bad habit of reading about a verse and a half and stopping, like, oh, I gotta check some commentaries. I need to look into the, into the notes. I need to make sure I understand how this fits in the timeline. And, and so I'd read a verse and a half, then I'd read another half verse and I'd stop. I'd read another two verses and I'd stop. And I'm missing the whole. Read it through. Even if you get to some parts that are hard to digest, that are a little confusing, keep reading. Read the whole. The Bible's a story. It's meant to be read and heard as a whole. Keep the genre of literature in mind that you're in, and then you can go back, if you have time, go back and do a slower study. Take notes in the Bible, write things in the margins, or if you don't like writing in a Bible, uh, have a journal and, and write those things out. Talk to your hope group about it. Uh, come to Bible studies, ask questions. As the podcast goes on, we'll even have a place where you can text in your questions starting in February or so so that we can respond to those live at the point. Keep track of those things. Bring those to us. Do this in community. We're better together. And then after you've done your reading and if you had time to do the study and the journaling, pray again. The best relationships we have as human beings are with people we have healthy two-way conversations with. You stop having healthy two-way conversations with somebody and that relationship's gonna suffer. God wants nothing less than that with you. He wants to hear from you. Don't just hear what God has to say. You know, this is the two-way conversation. You read the Bible, that's God speaking to you. You pray, that's you talking back to God. And the other thing about it is if God tells you something and it conflicts, it conflicts with scripture, God didn't tell you that. That wasn't God. That was some other force you don't want to mess with. Check what you're hearing if you're one of those people who says, I hear from God. Make sure it aligns with Scripture or it isn't of God. God is not a God of chaos. He's not going to say one thing in his written word and something completely contrary to that individually to you. It's going to push you into the darkness. And it might drag some people around you into it too. Avoid it. Follow the light. Don't make up God. Don't create stories about God that don't exist. The stories we have here are more than enough. Let me give you an example as we close this sermon and get ready for some bread and wine. The Gospel of Matthew is where we're starting our New Testament reading this week. Matthew, remember who he is. He's a tax collector. Tax collectors are, you know, accountant types. A lot of you 
Uh, some of you, anyway, are accountants. This is what you do for a vocation. And you know what I know. My wife was an accounting major in college. When she looks at our finances and, our, and, and balances our books, it's got to be balanced. There can't be anything outstanding because it just, it just, her mind can't take it. It has to all click. It has to all fit together. And that's such a blessing, so I don't have to do it. But, it, but it's all there. The ledgers have to balance. Everything has to add up. And if anything's outstanding, something's wrong. And you need to go back and redo the math and, and figure out wh where you made an error. That's Matthew. That's the way he writes this gospel. Or if people around him wrote it and, and gave his name to it to honor him, they're a part of this same community. They understood the essence of Matthew's character, his makeup, his passions. He's a tax collector. So he's going to connect the dots for you. Specifically, he's going to connect the dots between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So I thought the New Testament, I think we can just kind of throw out the Old Testament and then just go with the New. No, you can't. You're not going to understand Matthew. You're not going to understand the Gospels. You're not going to understand really the whole New Testament if you don't at least have some foundational understanding of the Old Testament. And we'll point you to that as we go throughout the year. But Matthew starts this way, and this is why I don't recommend that you just read the Bible individually as a private kind of pursuit on your own. So I'm going to read the New Testament. So you start verse 1. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Okay. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Ami. You say, I'm so inspired. Boy, what Pastor Mike said about this light is it's just illuminating me. And that's just like 10% of the list. You're going to read through 16 verses of this generational stuff. You say, I don't even know who these people are, 98% of them. Well, what am I supposed to get out of this? Matthew, the tax collector, who's connecting the dots, will tell you. I wrote the first 16 verses to say this, verse 17. There are 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the Babylonian exile, 14 more from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah, 14. Bible scholars have a field day with this. They say that's six sevens. Seven is the biblical number for perfection or a complete cycle. And so there are six days of creation, and the seventh day we get the rest and the peace of Jesus Christ, who is our Sabbath. That's sweet, isn't it? There are other biblical scholars who have all sorts of other understandings for the 14 and what they, they mean. You can Google these if you're into that, but that's not the point. Although Matthew loves to build these bridges, what he's trying to say is that if there's 14 from Abraham, who's the father of God's chosen people Israel, the Jews, the Hebrews, the Israelites... Then if you're reading this book, first century Jewish people, and you don't think you need Jesus because you're descendants of Abraham and Sarah, I'm telling you you're missing some really wonderful light. Because Jesus is actually a fulfillment of your Jewish prophecies. He's actually the one you're waiting for. And I'll prove it to you, Matthew the accountant says. I'll connect all those dots for you. There's a prophecy in the Old Testament that says this in Jeremiah 23, hundreds of years before Jesus was born. The time is coming, says the Lord, when I'll raise up a righteous descendant from everybody. And there it is. That prophecy written hundreds of years before Jesus showed up. So Matthew said, let me just easily connect the dots for you. You say you don't know Jesus, and yet he is the one who comes from King David's line. 
And he fulfills all your other prophecies too. So you're going to have to deal with that. But then Matthew makes another move to connect the dots, not just with people who come out of the Old Testament. Another word for that is the Old Covenant. And it develops into the New Covenant or the New Testament. He's also going to blow people away when he says, this light is a paralamp. It isn't just for the descendants of Abraham and Sarah. Matthew's the one at the end of his gospel who says, now that you've heard this good news, go and make disciples of all nations. It's a paralamp. It isn't just for the nation of Israel anymore. That's the old covenant. Now the old covenant develops into the new covenant. It becomes a paralamp for everybody. Let me connect the dots for you, Matthew says. I'm telling you, the more you know about your old covenant story, the more your new covenant story is going to ring true inside your heart and soul. Isaiah chapter 60, another prophecy, which points us to our reading for today. Vast caravans of camels will converge on you. The camels of Midian and Ephah, the people of Sheba will bring gold and frankincense? You mean that wasn't just these wise men stopping by a thrift store on the way to Bethlehem and picking up some gifts because they didn't want to be rude? No, it's the fulfillment of a centuries-old prophecy, and Matthew will connect the dots for you because he's the only gospel that includes the story of the Magi. That's Matthew. He's going to color in some things for you that you'd miss if you only read Mark, Luke, and John, as the other gospels do in the other direction. Go back, because Sally and I were in, in uh, Bethlehem, as I talked about in my Christmas Eve last, sermon last week, and I said I'd explain to you what the star was. So you get to Bethlehem, and when you get to this church called the Church of the Nativity that legend has it is built over the place where Jesus was actually born, as I said last week, if it isn't actually the exact place, I don't care, I'm in the neighborhood, and that's inspiring enough. When you get to this church, you look forward to the altar. On either side of the altar, there are stair steps leading down. Guess how many steps there are leading from the altar down to the place where Jesus, legend has it, was born? 14 on either side. And then when you get down underneath this, this place where Jesus was born, there's a star. And guess how many points are on the star? 14. And there are three more little steps that take you from the 14 steps to this star symbolizing the 14 generations of Matthew 1. Whoever built this church over the place where legend has it Jesus was born knew their Bible. And they didn't want you to miss it. There aren't 15 steps. There aren't 13 steps. There aren't 12 points to that star. There's 14. Because they're trying to point you back to the scripture that is a light that Matthew will tell you connects the dots between God's chosen people and now you, even if you aren't a descendant of Abraham and Sarah, now you receive this light because here comes the Magi and they're almost certainly not from the places you'd expect. They're definitely not from Jerusalem. They're not from Nazareth. They're not from Bethlehem. They're from foreign lands. And they probably have a whole different religion, which is still a, a traditional Iranian or Persian religion today. And they're bringing that, following this light and this star. Surprise, look who shows up to worship Jesus. This light is for all nations. The uniqueness of Jesus Christ is his universality for all people. The light was for the Magi. It's for the shepherds. For Mary and Joseph, the light of Jesus and his word is for you. God has something to say to you this year. I hope you'll listen. Because it is a light unlike any other. The Magi show up and they open their treasure chests and gave Jesus gifts of 
gold and frankincense and myrrh. We knew about the gold and frankincense from the prophecy in the old covenant. But this myrrh is a bit of a surprise. You might say, I thought Matthew connected all the dots. Why would he mention myrrh? Well, for one, because that's what happened. But importantly for two, because Matthew is connecting the dots to one other really important point as you read from Old Covenant to New Covenant, Old Testament to New Testament. Jesus fulfills all of the expectations of what a Messiah is, and then he kicks it up about a million notches. So the Magi come bringing gifts of gold and frankincense, like the prophecy said, but they also bring myrrh. He's an unexpected Messiah. The people of God, the descendants of Abraham, were expecting a King David. Somebody who would come and, and win you know, battles against their enemy nations like David did and restore Israel to prominence. But what they're missing is the paralamp. What they're missing is now this light is for all nations, including us as Christians, Gentiles, non-Jews. Now the light shines in every direction through this gift that God gives to the whole world that keeps on giving Jesus Christ so that expectation is here and then when Jesus comes it's here the expectation is golden frankincense Jesus brings myrrh the expectation is we'll win victories over other nations and Jesus brings victory over suffering and sin and death and ushers us into a kingdom that has no end bam he kicks it up a million notches He's the unexpected Messiah, and Matthew's introducing you to that here. Because the gold is given as a, symbol, as a symbol that Jesus is the king of all kings. The myrrh is given, I'm sorry, the frankincense is given. Priests use incense as a symbol of ushering God's people into the kingdom of heaven, into the kingdom of God. So the incense is used to, give, to, to identify Jesus as the chief priest, which Hebrews will tell us later in our New Testament reading. But the myrrh, what's the myrrh? What's myrrh used for in Jesus' day? To anoint dead bodies. <laughs> Surprise. Jesus didn't come to conquer this world. He came to conquer darkness and death and sin and the way he does that is by going to a cross where he will be crucified for a crime he did not commit and the women will come on Easter Sunday with myrrh to anoint his dead body and that leads to the best surprise of all but I don't want to give it away (laughs) we'll talk about it oh around Easter time Gold and frankincense, fulfillment of prophecy, myrrh. Let me point you to the future, Matthew, the connect the dots author says, inspired by the Holy Spirit. I mean, every page of the New Testament is like this. Everything you read has this kind of depth to it and so much more. Dive in. It's time. It's time to find a light that lasts. It's time to breathe that in and soak that up. It's time to let that light shine for you. The word of God is a lamp to guide our feet and a light for our path. James James puts it this way later in the New Testament. He says, come close to God. You know, the way the Magi did. And God will come close to you. I know when it comes to the story of the Magi, a lot of people trip up over, "Um, you know, we don't know they were wise men. 
They might have been women. You're right, they might have been. They might have been all women. Doesn't matter to me. They, they, they weren't really kings. That's just a fulfillment of, of, a, of a prophecy. Yeah, okay, right. But they were revered like kings and like royalty because they were the intellectual elite. They were the scientists of their day. They looked at the heavens and tried to make sense of life out of it. And everybody revered them for it as academics. And they have the ability and, and the wherewithal and the wealth to be able to travel wherever they want, whenever they want. So you've got the shepherds on the poverty end of the economic spectrum, and then you've got the, the magi on the rich end of the spectrum, and they're all showing up. They're all showing up. The light is for everybody. The poor need it, and the rich need it, and everybody in between needs it. The, the intellectually elite need it. The scientists need it. Because when they see Jesus, they take a knee. And wise men and women still do. And we don't make Jesus fit our worldview. We say, Jesus, tell me who God is and tell me who I am so that I can put my trust in the light of your life-changing love. Come close to God the way the wise men did, the way the Magi did. Don't get lost in the debates of how many there were. Some Christian traditions say there were 12 Magi and others say three because it'd be rude not to bring a gift and there were only three gifts. I, it doesn't matter. The point of this story that Matthew is making is the light is for you, no matter who you are. Descendant of Abraham and Sarah, great, it's for you. Not a descendant of Abraham and Sarah, great, it's for you. Rich, poor, super smart, wherever you are, it's for you. This light is for you. Bow down and worship the one who brings this light. I'll close by asking you again, what kind of a light are you following in order to find life in this world? Where is it going to lead you? Is it worth it? Is it going to give you what your soul longs for? The wise men were wise enough for the women to follow the star that led them to Jesus. Man, I really hope you will too. Let the light of God's word lead you to Jesus Christ because it'll change everything for you. Our service continues with Holy Communion. Uh, I'll turn it over to all the campus pastors, uh, wherever you might be. Uh, here in West Des Moines, communion service, you can come to your stations. The whole thing only takes a few minutes. It's the smallest meal you'll eat all week, but by far the most powerful. Talk about coming close to God, and he'll come close to you. This is the body and blood of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. If you receive it with faith, God comes close to you. Forgiveness is done to you. God's grace gets real for you. Because in the night in which he's betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread, broke it, gave thanks and gave it for all to eat, saying, take and eat, this is my body given for you for the forgiveness of all your sin. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, after the Passover supper, he took the cup, gave thanks and gave it for all to drink, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. Together, let's pray our table grace. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
If you're new to Hope, everybody's invited who believes Christ is present in this meal. Doesn't matter what your denomination is. Jesus is the host of this meal, not the Lutheran Church. So come and get it. Come close to God, and he'll come close to you through the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Take the bread, more practically, eat that, and then take the little cup of red wine, that's alcoholic, or the white grape juice, which is non-alcoholic, whichever is your choice. We have allergy-free stations over in the corners over there. If you want gluten-free or allergy-free, you can line up over there wherever you are in the room. As I said, the whole thing just takes a few minutes. We're gonna sing and worship uh, while we distribute communion. Our prayer partners will start to come up and they can pray for you as well. Uh, your joys, your sorrows, anything in between. Come and eat, come and drink, and go home and read. Read it, learn it, start to live it out. Let God's light shine for you, amen?